All right, I'm a little bit messed up. I'm not exactly center stage, so I know that doesn't bother some of you, but for those of us that have that OCD twinge in there, <laughs> there's some people in the church that like everything square and upright, so thank you guys. Um, I'm trying to go back to my big light here, so hopefully I don't blind any of you. I've, I've been told in the past they're blinded, but it's either that or I'm going to have to go to glasses, and uh, I know that would just be shocking to some of you to just see... That it's actually happening, but uh, I guess reading a computer screen every day has not been good to my eyes, and it's been about 25 years of ministry and reading computer screens, so it happens. But anyways, thank you guys for being here today. Thank you for not using the old clock excuse. I know that clock excuse has been around for a while. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be permanent. So for those of you that were already planning next year to say, oh, I can use this next year to get out of church, I think it's going to go away. I think we're just going to go with one time. That's what I've heard. One nation under God, one time. Uh, maybe we can fall back to a couple of different things. That would be great. But uh, a couple of different things that I want to say thank you to. Uh, to the people who brought gluten-free donuts last week. My daughter is gluten-free, and she has been coming to the church for a long time. And she said last week when she went and got donuts from the amazing Airhorn clan, uh, that someone blessed her with uh, some gluten-free donuts, and it turned out to be like a small blessing, but when you have a 26-year-old tell you how much they appreciated church because someone thought about a donut, so for those of you, I, I think I found out it might be either the Eames, so thank you, Eames, for making that consideration. You, you get to bless people that uh, can't eat regular donuts like the rest of us, so today I ate an extra donut because she wasn't here, and uh, I felt really good about that, so that was a double blessing for me as well. I'm in a really super thankful mood. I don't know about you guys, but it just seems like we've survived like these last five weeks and all of a sudden there's like, okay, we've made it to another month. I sat down with the, the cohort of guys, me, Bill, and Rod, and talked about next year and we're kind of planning some different things. And that's not really something that I traditionally enjoy doing is, you know, like forecasting. I'm a, I'm a here today, I got right now, and this is kind of very myopic in that. I kind of just see really small bites of life and to kind of forecast out. It's been a little nerve-wracking, but it's been exciting. And so uh, knowing like today, Bill's not here today because Bill's actually with um, a family in the church, the Angel and Christopher Watson. I don't know if you guys have met them, Christopher and Angel. Angel's been helping up in tech. Um, they've been involved in the church for about seven months, maybe a year, and they have this really amazing ministry called Deeper Still. And it's a ministry that ministers to um, anyone that's ever had an abortion. And it's a very powerful ministry, and twice a year they do, like, these conferences for people that are really struggling with this. And so they've invited Bill and Kathy to go up to their conference. They do it twice a year this weekend. And so from our church, Bill and Kathy are now doing the worship. And I've already had multiple texts from them this week just about how God's blessing and using that. I'm just excited to see all the different things from, from the name tags to the donut ministry to the ushers. Uh, I actually talked to someone about going out in the parking lot and being an usher in the parking lot. It's just like, if we can start waking up to just volunteering again and the value of service again, I feel like COVID not only stole that from the church, but stole the component that was so essential to who we are as believers, right? Just the ability to serve. No words, just serve. You're saying so much more when you're serving. Um, I really appreciate the greeters that have been out there and just the fact that they're getting here early and so excited so that when you get someone walking up the stairs now I, somebody walked up this week and I said I'm not the only one who knows your name anymore right like the secret's out and I think as a small church we have to really appreciate that name tags are not going to be there's 52 churches in Costa Mesa I think we're one of 52 
And if it's something that we get to hang on with, I had someone stop by the church this week and said, do you realize how beautiful your church is? Like it's recognized in town for your stained glass windows. And I was trying to think, what is our church recognized? What is the signature of Lighthouse in the town? Like to be a true community church in the middle of a community, what a blessing God has actually given us to hold fast to something without saying, oh, we have to modernize and go do everything else. Sure, we modernize. We got some lights. Air conditioning is a lot better than 2,000 fans going simultaneously in everyone's hands. I mean, we've got a couple of things, but I mean, what are we really known for? And I'm just excited. It feels like the church is kind of being reborn again into the simplistic nature of being that friendly church that loves people, that wants to see life change. And so because I'm so thankful, I'm excited about the upcoming Thanksgiving service this month because I think we're going to have some baptisms. I think you guys are going to hear some stories, some miraculous stories. We have two really good miraculous stories that have already been turned in, four different amazing praise stories. So as I'm kind of compiling the whole thing, I'm just excited about it. So if you haven't been baptized or you know someone who wants to be baptized or if you have a praise that you think would bless the church, please fill out those connection cards in the chair and make sure that gets in the box at the back of the service because uh, we want to continue to bless the Lord. And I heard something last week. If you were here last week, Pastor Rod was sharing on drawing near to the Lord. If you guys were here, did you hear the part where he said, the closer you draw near to God, the further the devil flees from you? And that phrase stuck with me the entire week, because think about that. The closer you are to God, by default, you, you smell more like him, right? The, the aurora, the aura of God, this, this bouquet of God starts to just be pervasive from you. And the devil, like those scent dogs at the uh, you know, airport that are looking for certain things, like he, the devil knows, that one smells like the Lord. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break left. I'm going to look for something else to go to and, and maybe address. So if you guys didn't catch that last week, I think that was a genuine nugget. So Rod, wherever you are today, I think they're back east at a wedding. Thank you for sharing that nugget. And if you guys miss any of the services, don't forget, we have phone apps, so we're super modern in that. We actually have a phone app for the church. You can actually sign up for podcasts, which means every week the message, if you miss it, will come loaded to your phone. We have a great online website. Um, Jeannie up here in the front runs that for the church. We've kind of updated all the pictures, so if you want to see the rest of the staff and what's going on, there's been some new staff. Uh, Chris Johnson is now helping us with student ministries. Josh has now slid over to young adults full-time, and they're actually having their own ministries. As I said, there's a lot of fun kind of moving components, and we may actually bring somebody on to help us with the Sunday setup, which is really exciting because as a pastor trying to set up all the tables on Sunday and do all the different things, that's a little bit nerve-wracking, but we actually have someone that I'm talking to, uh, and it's exciting just to see what God's doing. So I hope you're thankful for all that stuff today as well. We are in the second half of James 4, 11 through 17 today. James 4, 11 through 17. And I wish I could tell you that James is finally going to let up on the church, right? It's the first church. It's his first letter. And he's been pretty hardcore all the way through. And you're thinking, okay, there's only like a chapter and a half left. He's going to let up. No, he's not only not letting up, but I think he stomps on the gas pedal and hits turbo today. So be excited for this because... Here's what basically what James is saying. If you start off one degree off center, right? If someone says, I want you to go 90 degrees from here, and you start off at 89 degrees, it doesn't sound like a lot, right? It may not even feel like a lot when you're first traveling, but if you start off on the wrong setting, you can only arrive at the wrong place. 
right? And he's saying, so for me, I'm going to tell you guys something about the words that you say and the results of the words that you say. It will always lead you astray. If you don't monitor the words you say, if you don't think about what you're saying and why you're saying it, then the very words that you speak become the very destruction instead of the blessing that it was meant to be. Instead of that, he's going to give you a phrase that today, uh, remember back in the days of yore, they would say, write him on the doorpost of, of your house. So wherever you walked in, that white frame that went around your casing, it's called the casing of your door, you would write like a Bible verse or something to remind you as you go in and out of your house to always look at something. The catch word for today is definitely going to be, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, if you want to know how to avoid this, if you want the whole quick summary of my 10-page, two-hour dissertation today, to avoid the downfall of what your mind and what your mouth is about to say, preface everything simply by saying, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. All right. Jesus did this in the prayer, right? in the prayer in the garden before the whole thing. Not my will be done but yours. So let me pray this morning, and then we'll jump in. Uh, I'm going to be NASB. Someone asked me what version I like. I like NASB. So, Father God, it is another beautiful day in the house of the Lord, and we are truly thankful to study your word and to be blessed and encouraged by what is the word of God. If people are watching online and, and they're at home wondering, man, I wonder what's happening in the house of the Lord today, I would just encourage them. Today is the day to be in the house of the Lord. You are with us, and we are praying for you, but to be here is, a, is another thing. So be here, be present, and know that God is working, and start your day by simply saying, if the Lord wills. If you would just remove what your will is from every conversation, you will avoid much of the downfall of life. But if we would start by humbling ourselves and simply saying like your son in the garden, not my will be done but your will be done, then wherever we end up and whatever that destination is and whoever we get a chance to talk to would be of you. And if it's of you, Father, we know that we're going to be blessed. So bless those that are here today. Bless those that are watching. Bless those that will hear this message eventually and let them realize something. Although James is kind of bringing in the truth and it is hard and it is heavy, Father, only iron can sharpen iron. And if we're plastic, if we're balsa wood, if we're glass, we're never going to be able to endure those blows that cause one another to actually be sharpened and honed and ready for battle. May the word of God be spoken here. May that person who's waiting, Father, for salvation today be the day of reckoning. We do it all and say it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. All right, so this reminds me as I prayed there that James started in verse 4, 1. He, he gave kind of the insight to the whole passage, and he said, What is the true source of quarrels and conflicts among you? What is the true source of all quarrels and conflicts among you? Your words, okay? He only wrote five pages to this first church, and two of these pages are focusing on the same concept over and over. He started by speaking exclusively on favoritism in chapter 1, and I feel like then he was kind of talking to the workers, the people who were hosting people in. He was saying, hey, look, if you guys seat people differently, it doesn't seem like a lot. But remember, if you're off degree, one degree, then you're getting to the wrong, wrong destination. So treating someone differently because they look different or look better or whatever it is, then how you treat everyone is favoritism. So that's not going to work. He transitioned by talking to the church in chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, he left no stone unturned as he talked directly to the church leaders, to pastors, and gave us a warning. 
Chapter 4 seems he's finally moving back to you guys, the congregation, and he's going to continue to stay in this lane for this entire rest of this passage. And then he switched gears for chapter 5 coming up. So get ready next week for chapter 5. He finds one final group of people, and he decides to punch them as well. So James, I love you, James. You're my kind of guy, man. Let the truth set us free, right? The Word of God should set us free. Let's not be afraid of what the Word of God says. Let's, let's speak it. Let's believe it. Let's trust it. All right, here we go. We're going to start 11 and 12. Do not speak one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brethren of a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? All right, so each passage, each one of the five pages has the concept of brethren in it. So it says brethren. So he's always talking to the brothers and sisters in the church. He's talking to believers. And he's reminding them, you as the first church, us as the whatever iteration of the church we are, what we do and what we say becomes how people see church, right? What we do and what we say and how we act becomes what people believe of Christianity. And so since this was the very first church, he's saying, hey, look, the DNA that you're about to form, it's really important that what it says is, is true about God. If you do something, when you show favoritism, back to chapter 1, when you do something that's not of God, and people come in and then associate that with the church, they then go tell their friends, oh, this place is no different than, say, a restaurant or any other place that associates somebody with their looks. And then just like that, our ministry is stolen from us. So what James is ultimately going to teach in this passage, and I think it may be the whole, to me, in chapter 4, kind of the summarization all, it's a three-step process. What you think precedes what you speak, precedes what you do. Okay, let me walk back through that. What you think, how bad is it what you think? Well, according to the Bible, if you think anger thoughts or thoughts of hatred for another brother or sister, what are you actually guilty of, according to the Word of God? Murder. That's rough. Good luck trying to teach that. That's a whole other sermon, right? I mean, what I think, I'm held... You're not, not just how you think of it, I mean the fullness of what you think, because what you think then feeds your already proverbially wicked heart, which then feeds your proverbially wicked head. Now the iteration through your little rudder, your tongue, now you evoke words following that whole concept. And you're about to speak either life, James says, you either speak life or you speak death. You either build up or you tear down, right? And then you speak that into motion and then by speaking it, then your body then follows and says, well, if that's what we think and that's what we said, that's what we're going to do, right? What you think precedes what you speak, precedes what you do. Now watch how, de so if I start off thinking something negative about somebody, anything that follows from that conversation is one degree off, right? And J that's what James is saying. It doesn't matter how far it is, one degree or ten degrees, you're still going to land in the wrong place. If the way that you start something's wrong, then where you finish is wrong. Don't try to substantiate the end by the means that you're getting there. Let God take care of the results, but think about it. You want to start from the right place. Uh, we talked about why that's going to be so important if the Lord wills. Why? Because if you speak against a brother poorly, according to the rabbinical law, only atheists spoke poorly of non-believers 
an atheist, okay? So an atheist means don't believe in God. An agnostic doesn't know of God or believes there couldn't be a God. But an atheist would be someone who's void of faith 100%. It's the absolute antithesis, the opposite of what a believer is, according to rabbinical law. Now, we're not held to rabbinical law or the 613 commandments that go with it, but it's an interesting point that just the kind of person that would speak poorly of another brother or sister indicates what? What's in their heart, what's in their head, what's being spoken from their mouth, and now the actions that would follow. What you're basically saying is that individual doesn't meet my standards. Because they don't meet my standards, because they don't meet what my expectations are, I now am entitled to judge them. And I'm not talking about accountability. I'm talking about judging. We're going to get to this. a big difference between judging and accountability. Judging leads to gossip, pride, and jealousy. Anytime you have gossip, pride, or jealousy coming from that conversation, you're going to be in a situation where you're tearing someone down. Now think about it. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have social media. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have phones and all kinds of different apps that let them not only evoke their poor thoughts, but then share their poor thoughts with the whole world around them, right? So now not only is it possible for me to sin and to fall into kind of a sinful nature, but now I can drag other people down in my oikos, in my world. And we may do it through anonymity, so we'll get on. We go, don't you hate when your neighbor gets a new car and you see that bum every day at his house? You don't know what he does. You don't know who they are. But just like that, you just go post some random post. And then all of a sudden, your phone starts blowing up with other people. Like, oh, yeah, I hate that. I got a neighbor. He's a big bum, too. And I got, yeah, and how they get this? And then just like that, gossip and slander, just breeding gossip and slander. And it's like, oh, we just bathe in it, right? We just bathe in the kind of the, isn't everybody miserable? Because I'm miserable. I'm making everyone else miserable. James is saying, guys, look, social media, all these other responses, our goal is not to make other brothers and sisters stumble. Our goal is to lift people up. Are you the source of the, uh, making people stumble? If you are, then you're making, you're going to have a problem. The problem that you're going to have, you mentioned in there, is the law of liberty. The law of liberty. What was the law they were breaking? It said you were going to be breaking a law, the law of liberty. It's found in Galatians um, 5.1, 5.13, and 5.22. The first part of the law of liberty is that liberty is granted by Jesus. Stand fast, therefore, for the liberty which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled by the yoke of bondage. Now, the bondage was the 613 laws and rules and regulations that Jewish people had to live by. He says, we're free of that. In Christ, we're free of that. Additionally, in 5.13, he says, it's governed by Scripture. For brothers and sisters have been called into liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but that you might serve one another. That's why I talked about this morning, why it's so important that we serve other people. Anytime we serve somebody else, what we're saying is, I'm humbling my wants, wishes, and desires to meet yours. It's just a really good place for a believer to be. If you can serve, if you're in a really difficult place and you're kind of struggling in your walk right now, I want to encourage you, serve. The quickest way to get out of a rut is serve other people. And then finally, Galatians 5.22 says, this is all guided by the Holy Spirit, so the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against, there, against these, there is no law. There is no law, Right? If we're judging people by the law, then we're not doing what the law says. Remember, it's the law of liberty. 
What we're saying is that I'm wiser and my opinion is more important than the law of liberty. And it's just a really dangerous place for believers to be. Remember, once again, last week, if we draw near to the Lord, then we want to do what the Lord says. The closer we are to the Lord, the more we think about what the Lord is saying, the more we want to be like him. Now, that's important because if there's only one, verse 12 says, if there's only one lawgiver and one judge who has the power and the right to save and destroy, then it's clear it's not us, right? Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus says, I am the truth. And Jesus says, I am the life. Only Jesus has that claim. No man gets to the Father except through Jesus, right? So we need to give him that honor when it comes to judge. The difference is between judging and accountability is judging is always based on gossip and slander. And to that he's saying, do not judge. He's not saying, do not hold someone accountable. Okay, there's a biblical principle to hold a brother and sister accountable. That's uh, Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 15 says, if we have a brother or sister that has sinned against us, we go to them. And we say, hey, can I talk to you about something? I I heard you use the Lord's name in vain. And I just want to let you know, it may not seem like a big deal in the scope of how people talk today, but for me, it's actually a pretty big deal. Would you just consider using someone else's name in vain, like your own, if you want? But just like, could you consider the first three commandments are about our relationship to God? And that's a real issue for me when you use the Lord's name. We go to that brother, and if he hears me, and he's like, you know what? I don't even think about I don't even think about what I say anymore. I get you. Cool. Thanks for bringing that up to me. And then it says we've won that brother over. Okay, that's accountability. Now, if he struggles with that, I have every right to go get an elder or someone else, and then two of us can come and say, hey, why, was, why is this thing about using God's name such an issue for you? you got to go read the Bible, think about it. And then another third one, we can go. There's a whole process in there. That's accountability. None, that's never refuted in the Bible. Judging is refuted. Do not judge. So make sure you delineate the two. Completely different. Along with that, always remember this. When in doubt, consider discernment. One of the spiritual gifts is discernment in the Bible. Test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. When you're, when you're confused about whether or not there is an issue with someone, go seek counsel. Talk to a pastor. Talk to an elder. Talk to someone in the church that you feel is really biblically strong and say, hey, look, should I be concerned about this? Maybe I'm watching a TV show and it's sacrilegious or something. Is this something I need to be worried about? Get good counsel on it to make a decision. And then if there is an issue, always remember what the Bible says. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, rebuke, exhort, draw near. Rebuke, only identify the issue. That's it's, The issue here for me is uh, using God's name in vain. I don't call him out for what he wears, the music that he listens to, anything that's preferential. Only rebuke that which is against God's will rebuke, exhort, hey, I know there's other words you can say, you're smart, you're intelligent, find something else to say, draw near, give them five, give them a hug, tell them, hey, I love you, and it's because I love you is what I'm telling you. That is the biblical principle to follow, and if we do that, James said, not only would the church change, but faith would change. The way that people see faith, it would change, because iron can only sharpen iron. I really, I forgot some of my examples. One of my examples back there, I might have to have my wife grab my can you grab the um, hand cleaner that's under the back chair and the thing and walk that thing up to me? I have a fabulous example for my visual learners. Like, Because iron sharpens iron. If I take iron to balsa wood, which I said in my prayer, and I, right, I'm not, not only am I not sharpening it, I'm just going to destroy it. I'm going to cut it into pieces. Well, you can think of there's a myriad and a multitude of materials that iron can really only go against something that's equally as hard, right? 
And that's a really important thing when we think about God's word. It's like, if I'm called to be iron to you, then God's word needs to be strong to you. If, I, if I'm going to say that, thank you, honey. You've got to have discernment to know what it is that you're actually holding someone accountable to. I've had brothers and sisters come to me and try to hold me accountable for non-biblical things, and I have to just yield. I just got to let them speak it. It's like, good thing I'm a chaplain, right? I just let them speak it, and I don't refute it, and I don't rebuke them. I just simply let them process that. And then I pray, Lord, help them understand that's an opinion. Help them understand that's their perception of something. If it's biblical, then I yield to it 100%. But if it's your perception, if it's your free will, fish. You eat fish, Pastor Jeff. Well, I think every fish is a gift from God, and I believe fish have souls. I'm, this may be, you know, made-up conversation, but let's just say it is true, and they believe that. I'm not gonna, it's not going to rebuke them, stronger and weaker brothers, right? There's just people that have that thoughts. Be careful how we rebuke. Be careful how we judge. Be careful how we do all this. If we do this, then pride won't enter in, and it won't be us that's trying to be afraid of what someone's saying. Instead, we can just trust that God's word is speaking. I actually believe this is the essence of the entire chapter. All five books can be summarized in these next two verses. 13 and 14. So for those of you who want, if you wanted to share something with your friends, amazing and powerful about the book of James, I'm going to recommend these two verses, 13 and 14, and 15 may be the most powerful sequence, and it seems so mundane. I read it like 15 different times, and I'm like, how, I mean, the commentary stuff on the next three passages was pages, 15, 20 pages of information, and let me read it to you, and you tell me how mundane this sounds, starting in 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life holds today or tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live here and go do this or that. All right? Pretty simple kind of initial reading, right? Did you catch anything that was like overwhelming in that? Did you feel like you needed to write 20 pages of commentary? Let me highlight what it's actually saying. Remember, one degree. One degree off, different path. You who say, who is he talking to in the very beginning of the letter in all five chapters? Brothers and sisters, right? Brothers and sisters who should know better. When you as a brother or sister, you say that you know better, and then you say, I'm going to go do this. It doesn't sound like, I'm going to go do this. Where are you going? I'm going to the store. What he says, James is saying, is just that alone is the essence of arrogance and boasting. That you would say, you're going to go do. Who are you to say what you are going to do? You might say, I'm hoping to go to the store. Or if the Lord wills. Once again, we'll fall back on that. But when you say definitively, I am going to the store. It's as though the Lord may exist or may not exist, but if anyone else has a question, you're letting them know what you're going to be doing and why you're doing it. Because I said, I'm going to the store. Which now, remember, what you say, what you think, precedes the words that you speak, which then follow with the actions that you're going to do. What is it? Today or tomorrow? Oh, so now not only do you control where you're going, you control when you're going. Watch how this arrogance and boasting, it just compiles. And each one of these, by the way, has, I could have gave you two paragraphs minimum of intellectual thought on each one of these and what it's actually saying, today or tomorrow. You think you're going to be here today or tomorrow? You know how many prayer requests this, by the way, the prayer requests have been fabulous again. Thank you for turning in prayer requests again. It's an honor to pray for them. 
But you know what I recognize every Wednesday when I pray with that same group of elders? Life is extreme. Life is ruthless. And stuff happens to perfectly healthy, normal people yesterday, and today we get to pray for it, and it's dire. 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, the life that they had yesterday is completely gone today. 20 years old, 10 years old, 5 years old. This week we got a chance to say goodbye to Linda Parker's um, in case you didn't know, and this is shocking, maybe I should have said this video. Linda Parker's husband, Terry, has been sick for quite a time. He passed this week. I started my ministry here five years ago with a visitation to him in his room as he was being kind of set in that room, and he never left that room. I learned something in five years of doing ministry to someone in a bed with the wife right next to them, never leaving. There's a way that we live and there's a way that we die that tells, Coral is the person she is because Linda Parker is the kind of woman she is. Because there's nothing boastful about sitting on the bed with a guy who was able-bodied, strong. I was looking at Terry's pictures one day, cowboy like Randy, I mean, full cowboy, strong, loved to work, industrious, and yet he had been humbled. When you start talking about today, I'm going to be here, tomorrow I'm going to do it, and the Bible says, you know what? Can I remind you what you are? This is for my wife. She loves visuals. You are a mist, a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. And now you're telling me not only where you're going to go and what you're going to do, but how much time you're going to spend? Who do you think you are? You think you have any control of time? Time? That's your whole life right there. 70 years. I've been here from the beginning. Jesus says, from the beginning, we created. Me and my Father and the Spirit of God, we created. And then we put you in time. We're not in time. God is outside of time. Your time is limited. My time is limited. He knew us before we were born. He knit us together in our mother's womb, and he knows the first breath that we will take, and he knows the last breath that we're going to take, and whatever that 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, or 100 years will be. And we want to tell the Almighty what we're going to do today and what we're going to do tomorrow. My friend called me this morning and said, I can't be there. I got to work. I need to make money. And I thought, man, that is a dangerous place to be telling a pastor who has to go preach a message on telling God what you're going to do without him and expecting your day to be successful. See, free will allows you the opportunity to go do whatever you want. But free will also allows you to leave one degree out of the will of God. Inside the will of God, protection, like an umbrella. It can rain, it can storm, whatever. God's protection. Outside of the umbrella, you're exposed to the elements of your own volition. God doesn't leave. He's just saying, this is my will. This is what I want done. If you don't do it, someone else will come inside that umbrella and keep working. Now we're going to go there for a year. This is how much we're going to spend. We're going to engage in business. And, of course, we're going to make a profit. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven separate statements all in the face of God saying, you know what? I'm in control. I don't know about you, but this is probably the number one thing you get in counseling is, I don't feel like I'm in control. Hmm. Really? That's a universal problem. No one's in control. You've never been in control. That's the whole point of control. You've never been in control. Janet Jackson's not in control. No one is in control. 
We all want to be in control, but no one is in control. Only one person can take your life. Only one person can save your life. There's only one way, one truth, and one life. And if it doesn't start with him, and if it doesn't end with him, then you're one degree off, and it doesn't matter where you end up. It's the wrong place, and it's outside of the protection of God. It's all about control. It's all about arrogance. It's all about boasting. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. The Bible says, why do you say tomorrow you're going to go? You don't even know when your next breath is coming. We have people in here that need a machine. My buddy Tony's got to be here. Ask somebody. You have the opportunity to ask somebody what it's like to not know where your next breath's coming if you don't have the machine on your side. I guarantee you he has a better understanding than you do. I guarantee you, you can learn something from someone in this congregation that's not the pastor if you would simply go ask, what is it like knowing that your next breath comes from a machine? The answer, it's humbling. That's what it is. And that's what we don't want to be, right? We don't want to humble ourselves in the eyes of the Lord. Where's Glenn? There's the song I needed for today. Humble yourselves in the eyes. Of... Well, I don't want to do that. That's a song. Why would I do that? Because when you say, not my will be done, but your will be done, what you're saying is, I have great plans. I have great dreams. I'm full of ambition. And he's saying, that's great, but this is where I want you to go, and this is what I want you to do. If you want to go do this, or if you want to go that, free will. You can go do that. But when you leave the umbrella and you catch pneumonia, don't go over here and say, but Lord, where are you? I'm, I'm working really hard on Sunday, and I'm trying to make a living out here. And all I got is pneumonia or seven different diseases or infections or colds or whatever. He's like, hey, look, get sick right here. If you get sick right here, it's on me. We'll work together with it. And you watch how 1 Corinthians 10, 13 manifests for you. No temptation will come upon you that I will not provide a way through. Right? It's like, how does the scriptures work? It works when we're in line with his will. If we're not in line with his will, well, then, just as you said, you determine the future. I think Rod said something about that, too. Do you want to be in a place where you determine your future against God, you versus God, 1v1? You want to try that? You want to try 1v1 versus Michael Jordan? I mean, in basketball, that would be suicide because not only would he dunk on you, you wouldn't do anything. You would look silly. But you want to go 1v1 with the maker of the universe? The Almighty? Back to the mist. Like, I kept spraying that thing in my office. My office just smelled like hand cleaner. I was just like, we're just the mist. What is the mist trying to tell the wind? I mean, where we're going to go? Does the, does the cloud tell the wind where it's going to go? The wind tells it, right? Wind beneath my wings. I got all these songs flying through my head right now. Glenn. <laughs> what does boasting ultimately do? This is what boasting ultimately do. You leave God out of your words. When you boast, when you're full of pride and your arrogance begins to come spoken forth, the first thing that you're doing is you're leaving the 90 degree and you're taking that one thing and you're leaving God out of your plans. Of your own volition, you're choosing to leave God out of your plans. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a loving father. And when my children decide to do something that's outside of my protection, it hurts, right? I want to protect them. I want to love them. But there's times where I got to let my kids flail. Lots of parents are nodding right now. Right? We got to let them flail. Because they don't know what they have until they don't have it anymore. Sometimes by just letting them have it over and over again, and, and we kind of become like enablers, and we just got to say, you know what? 
prodigal, you want your stuff, you want your inheritance, and you want to go live that way, go and be free. And then we, what do we do? We go back to work. He just kept working with his family and going right back to it. The prodigal needed to wake up that day and realize what he had. If you want to make a plan void of God, go ahead. But when you wake up covered in the mud and the mire, because if your friendship to the world was more important than your relationship to God, be careful about coming to me and telling me how mad you are at God. I, I marry and bury a lot. This week, I'm going to be involved with another one. And one of the things I can tell you from my side of grief counseling is when someone comes to me and says, how dare God take my loved one? Why would he do that? Well, I can tell you this. The elders, me and Dee and Tom, got a chance to pray for Terry last week. And when we did, that was the most jovial and happy and loving and caring I've ever seen a man completely laid out in a bed who literally had maybe this much neck movement and a couple of eye iterations. He showed total joy, talking about life, talking about his spouse, talking about whatever. Because there's a way to be humbled by God that's still under his protection. That's a beautiful thing that Linda gets to share with Coral, right? Because it wasn't void of God, it was all about God. Matter of fact, you know the one thing, I'll, I'll say this on behalf of the family, they wanted to just affirm that. Hey, Pastor Jeff, it's been a lot, he's gone through so much. Would you just affirm that? How am I going to affirm that with someone who can't speak? He doesn't speak. You know how you do it? You just speak it and then you wait for his body to speak. I said, Terry, your family's right here, your friends are right here, your elders are right here, your church is right here. We love you, but your time is drawing near, brother. Can you just affirm to your family? Do you know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Is your life in Jesus' hands? Yes. Affirmation that God is in my plans. God is the plan. And then all of a sudden my head goes, well, that's why this situation feels the way that it feels. Right? Because we're under the umbrella of God. It doesn't mean the hardship goes away. It just means we're under the hardship protection of God. So in that moment, we have God in that room. If it's about your plans, if it's about your pride, then it's on you for the results. And some people, you see people in life sometimes succeed, and you're like, oh, they don't deserve it. Okay, I agree. I've seen people succeed that don't deserve it. But did you deserve salvation? If you want to talk about deserve, then let's just break it down in the beginning. Does any one of us deserve or earn salvation? No. So let's get past the fact that in life, people, someone's going to win a billion-dollar Powerball. Okay? Did they deserve that? Did they earn that? No. Interesting read for people. If you want to read something really interesting, read what happens to people that instantly go from regular to millionaires or billionaires. A huge percentage of those people, suicide, hardship, and whatever, a small percentage figure it out, but it's so dramatic to what they knew that just making that adjustment is overwhelming. Be careful what you ask for. Maybe God has given you what you need. The Bible says if you're not content in all things, why would he give you more? Right? I've learned to be happy in all things. Why? So that if I get more, I'll know how to process that. If I haven't been happy with what I have, are you showing dependence on God or independence from God? 
right? Are you dependent on God for everything? Or are you independent on yourself? I got this. Okay, because that makes a difference on how you speak and what you say and how everything goes, right? Then that's going to affect what you think. Then it's going to affect the words that you say. And now it's going to affect the actions that you take. If you say that, that's a problem for me. I, I tell you, what's easier to talk about? Being humbled, talking about being humbled, or being humbled? Being humbled, right? And so we get this in the Christian church. We talk about different things. And we're, some of us are very knowledgeable about Christian things. But do we see that? attribute in that individual being humbled by the lord is more 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 important than anything else if the lord wills try to say this when you wake up tomorrow if the lord wills i'm going to go to work i'm going to do my best and i hope that i sell whatever if the lord wills if not lord if you have something else planned for me on the way to work i'm available just start just new verbiage it's good verbiage it's from the scriptures if the lord wills I'd like to ask such and such. I'm going to church next week, and I, if the Lord wills, I'd like to ask such and such out to go eat after, after the service. And you've run into somebody else. That's not who you planned on. But all of a sudden, you're like, no, that's the one you take. Right? Because you asked if the Lord wills. So now when the Lord shows you what his will is, you listen. And you just say, hey, I, we've never gone out before. I've been now with my name tag. I realize, you know, I've seen you like for like two years or whatever. Would you like to go out and you guys get a cup of coffee or some chips and salsa? If you say El Matador to me, the answer is always yes, by the way. <laughs> you say El Matador, Pastor Jeff, I'll meet you there in five minutes. My buddy Gary likes to see me. Are you blessed to live another day? Have you realized that every breath you take is a blessing? That was a blessing, right? It's, it's perspective. All of a sudden, it reframes your day. Like, oh, I'm looking. Remember when Rod talked about how much time men take getting ready? By the way, that's really messed with me in the morning. I like, I do everything I can now to narrow like three minutes. I want to be as. We do. We're like enamored with all the hair that we have or don't have, or you know, teeth that we want shining. Like, we take so much time trying to get this. You know what? Without the soul in it, this thing is really just a, a lump of clay. For those of us that have had the privilege to pass from this life to other lives with people, once you realize once the soul is gone, it's just, it's a, it really is. It's a clay vessel. And God's going to recreate this one day perfect with no flaws for eternity that's going to be ten times more spectacular than what we appreciate now. But if our dependence is on ourselves, if our dependence is on what we think, then, you know, Whatever you get is what you get because that's what you wanted. I looked this up too. Paul said in, his, in Paul's scriptures, if the Lord wills many times, if the Lord permits a few times, and then he always said, God willing. James was one of the first guys to write, and he's having influence on guys that have been walking with the Lord. But this thought, if the Lord wills, became movement, early traction for the early church and for the early apostles and disciples. And I think it's something that I can offer you guys today, if you can just consider this. Do we stop judging people and start living in such a way that we say, oh, if the Lord wills, but I'm still hopeful I get this. No. If the Lord wills, I hope my neighbor crashes that car and uh, gets a VW bug instead or something. It's like, no, we don't say if the Lord wills and then throw our will in there. We just say, Lord, 
how about if I just go tell my neighbor that I don't think deserves that car? I go over there and say, hey, I saw your new car. Congratulations. What's going on? How about have a conversation with the person that you're showing disdain for? How about reminding yourself what your role is to be a blessing in this world, not to be a burden? Back to 17. Therefore, to the one who knows what's right, the thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. My pastor from my life growing up at the High Desert Church taught us for many years, when you see a therefore in the Bible, ask what it's there for. And it's therefore to summarize that incredible lesson that was just taught before. The summarization of everything that James just said is, if you don't know what to do, okay. I always wonder, like, why are we so mad at non-believers for acting like non-believers? Right? You have a Christian who's not a believer and they're acting ridiculous, and you're like, how could they? Because they're not a believer. Shouldn't the question be, isn't that a believer? And if it's a believer, then how can they act like that? If you know what to do, and then you choose not to do it, not only is it sin to you, but it's dangerous. Because what you're saying is, not only do I want to live outside of the umbrella of God's protection, but I'm, I'm like excited and I'm kind of motivated to live in this one degree in the wrong direction. See what I can find. Like the prodigal. Long as he had money, he had friends right? As long as he was something to offer the world, they were willing to consume it. But man, when that cup ran dry and does for all of us, waking up in the pig slop going, what, what have I done? James said, okay, therefore, let me tell you what you do. Now that you know what to do, you have to be accountable. Too much is given. Matthew? Much is expected. Much, yeah. You, well, Lord, I don't have much. Well, what are you doing with what you have? If you're not doing much with the little that you have, why would the Lord give you more? These are questions that we need to ask because I'm a real simple faith kind of guy. Are you happy with the pain and the suffering and the inconvenience of life that you have? My friend texted me this morning and he said, um, "You don't understand what it's like to be an alcoholic." Hmm. Interesting phrase to say to me my brother recovered and lives every day with it and has shown me that not only can you do it but there's a way to do it that's godly my older brother did it succumbed to it lived in an institution for most of his life and is still there and now jesus is breaking free after years and years of mental captivity my mom's brother died in an institution alcoholism uh, I had to open the casket to say goodbye because I no longer recalled what he looked like. Awkward moment, by the way, opening a casket. And my dad's brother died Christmas Eve, accident, drunk driving. So let's rephrase why this non-drinking teetotaler doesn't understand your alcoholism. Seriously? What, what are we saying to one another? I not only understand alcoholism, I've lived alcoholism. I am the child of a family full of alcoholics. See, my disposition is this. You drink one beer and you get silly. I could drink 10 beers and nothing would happen to me because my disposition, my DNA is abusive in nature. Well, let's just call it that, right? 
I choose not to drink now because I've seen the destruction that it does to other people's lives. I've been part of that destruction of other people's lives. So people are like, oh, so you're saying, Pastor Jeff, I can't drink around you? No, people drink around me all the time. Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine. I don't have a problem with a drink or people who drink responsibly. But I have a problem when you realize that that, in, that material has um, power over your life and you succumb to it. Because you can change the material. Aspirin, codeine, drugs, you can change the material. If it has power over your life, then there's a problem that you're giving up control. Because why? I know better now. And I'm accountable for that. If you don't know better, then I'm not going to hold you accountable. But once you know better, I have to hold you accountable. I'm not judging you. I'm not t- talking about the way that you act or the thing. I'm holding you accountable. Biblically speaking, I got to hold you accountable. The Bible says, be ye not drunk with wine, right? That does not say, do not drink wine. Careful what we say, church, and how we say it. There's still churches out there that use communion. We're getting ready to do communion that actually use wine. Some people are like, well, I can do that if I was an alcoholic. Ours is grape juice, so calm your, if you're worried about that. We're not trying to get anyone all fired up on grape juice. I drink the whole cup usually sometimes because I actually enjoy the grape juice. But, I mean, we got to know what we're saying and why we're saying it. We can hold one another accountable. Remember, along with accountability, we need discernment. Is this of me? Am I concerned because this is of me? This is a fear that I have, so I'm going to impose my fear upon you. No. The only fear of Proverbs 1-7 that we need to have is of the Lord. Reverential awe. Who is it that controls my soul? Who is it where my destination is in his hands? God. We have that kind of fear. We're good. If I have a fear that I'm going to impose on you, not good. And then the second question we can finally ask is this. Now that I know what's right, am I still willing to do what's wrong? Okay. Now Pastor Jeff has exposed something. Now the word of God has exposed something. I'm driving down the radio and all of a sudden I hear something come on and I'm like, wow, it sounds like he's talking to me. Ever drive down the road, listen to the radio, random sermon, and you're like, he's talking to me. Maybe he is. What's our first response? Change the channel. (laughs) I'm not, I'm just, I'm driving by myself. I don't need this. I know, but that's why it's there because you do need it. What are you going to do about that sin in your life that you're willing to live with? Man, you've got to just bring it to the cross and say, you know what, Lord, this thing's bigger than me. This thing's having victory in my life. And I can't be the kind of servant you would want me to be as long as I keep succumbing to this thing. So for me, as for, as for me and my house, choose this day who you will serve. I choose not to drink. Can I drink? Yeah, I can be a pastor and drink. I, don't, I'm, I know pastors who drink. Do I tell them, oh, you shouldn't drink, man. What is wrong with you? I just tell them this. Be careful who you drink in front of. Why? Because that's accountability. Stronger and weaker brothers. You might end up drinking in front of my friend who called me this morning who has a drinking problem. And your comfortableness with it might be just enough to push him over the edge and saying, oh, there is. So you can do it. He can't, right? That's why he's an alcoholic. He can't. So for him, the answer is no. And for me, I just, it's just no so that I can show people. Your resolve is much stronger than you give it. You just got to trust God with it. Draw close to the Lord, and what happens? You smell more like him. You act more like him. You feel more like him. taste more like him. Why would the world come after that? The devil's not stupid. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not going to attack you. The devil can't be everywhere all the time. He can't. So he's going to send his minions. He's going to send his angels to choose those people that are not trying to fight the good fight. 
He's going to send those warriors to do battle with people who are not holding fast in God's word. Because there's plenty of people that just don't think of it and not worried by it. So let me summarize. Submit yourself in the eyes of the Lord. Humble yourself in the eyes of the Lord daily. Every time you wake up, every time you're confronted with a conversation, every time you have to make a choice, ask yourself, have I asked God into this conversation that I'm having right now? I got a a job, a new uh, job opportunity is coming my way, and I've talked to my wife, I've talked to my girlfriend, I've talked to my mother, I've talked to my father. Before I got that, when I got the job opportunity, I take five minutes to go in my car and sit down, shut the radio off, and say, God, is this job from you? Is this job, is this job what you would have me to do, or is this job for me? Is this what I wanted? Does this fulfill my need for a title or for financial pay or for whatever, acknowledgement? Lord, whatever you, would, whatever you will in this situation, I'm, I'm grateful that I have the job. Thank you for the nod. What do you want from me? When evil does come, flee from it, not to it. Because evil's coming, right? My friend called me this morning and he said, Yo, Jeff, uh, hey, oh, hey. I'm like, dude, trying to work on the message. You know, I got like 10 minutes for the service starts. What do you want? You just don't understand. I said, okay. So you're telling me I'm going to go to service today with someone who has cancer. I'm going to go in there myself with kidney disease. I'm going to go in there with people that have dementia. I'm going in there with, inside this church, we have every kind of known disease on the planet Earth. You're telling me that every single one of us that have to face that this morning, that somehow alcoholism is greater than that. Dude, the Bible says, in this world, you will have. You have it. I have it. We have issues. But take hold. What? I've overcome the world. This is where your strength comes from. This is where your encouragement comes from. This is where your hope comes from. Not in the 200, 300, 400, 500, or $1,000 you may make hustling today. I'd rather make $0 hustling today and have one encouragement from the word of God than I would anything else. I think, who is it, Elijah said, like, your words, like, honey, that's talking about reading the word of God, like, it's like food to my soul. That's what it's like. We need to think about how lucky we are and blessed we are to hear the word of God, to have the word of God spoken to us, and to be blessed and encouraged by the word of God, because that will hold. When you do sin, when you do stumble, seek forgiveness as soon as possible. Take the issue to the cross, and remember, it's like acid. It burns quickly, but the longer you sit in it, the more damage it does. Some of us sit in our sin so long that instead of just having a small burn that we could put a Band-Aid on, like we've let it literally burn our entire limb off. We just sit and soak in sin. We're like, oh, I'm, I'm in financial crisis. Okay, everyone in California is in financial crisis, right? Where else are we paying $8 for gas? I mean, what, what have we done to be so blessed by that? Here's the thing. Don't drive. Take a break from your gas, figure out what your gas bill is, your stuff is, and call an Uber and let someone else bless you. And everywhere you go, spend the money for that. Find something else to complain about is all I'm saying, right? That's what it is. If you don't want it, like uh, my pastor taught me, when I take the trash out, I look inside and I thank God for all the receipts and butter. Oh man, that butter on my toast. I love this story. I'm going to tell you a million times. Why? Because I'm so thankful to take the trash out. Remember, if you see the electric bill and you don't like it, call the electric company, tell them I'm all done. I'm going to save my $92 a month. You can take your electricity and send it down the line. Light candles. 
cook with uh, propane. Go ahead, have campouts in your house. Just, if something's really bothering you that much, stop it. People have lived without electricity before. There's people in the world right now living without it, so you can. Or you can just say, you know what, Lord, seriously, what, what is really winning the joy in my life? What, what are the things stealing the thunder that you're trying to speak to me in? I have like 14 pairs of jeans, and yet my wife still feels the need to buy me a pair of jeans every once in a while. I'm like, how many jeans do you think a guy wears? I, I wear the same jeans every Sunday. I, I like one pair of jeans. I don't like 13 pairs of jeans because we just, we, it's excess, right? Our life is just so full of excess. So what do I do with all my clothes? I give them away. Because I'm summarizing. i got to stay humble. I can't get caught up in all this stuff. I've got an issue, I need to get rid of it. Do not gossip or slander about another brother or sister. Do not gossip or slander, but do hold them accountable. Don't be the person in my life to say, oh, I'm Pastor Jeff, everything you say is so good and it's just so good. No, if you hear something spoken from this pulpit, me, Rod, or Bill, and it's not of God or it's not biblically correct, you don't have to tell me that Sunday. You don't have to run up here and tell me right away. I'm not that correct. Take the time to write it down or pray about it. Maybe even discuss it with somebody else and kind of, and if it's, if you found something, send it to me. It's okay. Right? The truth sets us free. The truth shouldn't put us in bondage. And yet, how do we live our lives when we let someone in our lives do something? Like, like I said, do you drive in your neighborhood with their windows up in an effort to get to your garage door so it can go up and down so you, ah, I'm safe? Like, is that what safe is to you? Is like, don't bother anyone. With... I need the truth. If you hear something from me and it's not the truth, I'm okay. Hey, what version was that? My Bible said, can you check this? Yeah. Iron sharpens iron. Live dependent on God. Do you guys like uh, 2 Timothy? That passage, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's the kind of verse that if you're going to teach your kid a passage, that's a fabulous passage to teach because what it reminds us is that we have what we need. It may not be what we want. I get that. But we have what we need. It's called the scriptures. It's called prayer. It's called supplication. Sometimes we need to just let it sit for a while before we actually get what it's saying. But everything we need to be adequately equipped to do every good work. In other words, everything that you do that's actually good is from the Word of God, right? What's in your heart gets to your, gets to your mind, and then it gets to your words, and it gets to your actions. You're like, I don't like what I'm doing. Okay, wipe the dry erase board, start all over. Lord, what's your will for me today? What's your will for me in this church? What's your will for me in ministry? Does it mean I need to start by just, you know, humbly greeting people? Is that, the, is that what I can do today? What can you do today? That's what you should do. I'm going to go watch kids across the street and risk being thrown up on. Medicruz. You, Medicruz, made me so happy that week because hearing your staff talk about a really tough, it's one of the babies that we love. I'm not going to say the name of the baby because we love this baby. This baby's like precious to us. It's precious to the mom. Babies don't know what they do or why they do it. Sometimes they do it, and they do it on a worker who's totally dedicated and has amazing qualities and they just get lathered with the debris field that a baby can produce and i'm talking everything a baby can produce and what does that worker do 
hand that baby back to the mom like it's some kind of time bomb. They rally around that baby to clean that baby down to the shiniest component of every nook and cranny on that baby's body. (laughs) And then that worker walks to the car, gets a change of clothes, and goes right back into the den. That's good stuff. That's so much better than like some pastor having some fancy sign or some fancy series or fancy whatever. To me, it's like there's something so beautiful and so simple about the word of God. And I know what James is saying. I know it sounds rough when I'm telling you, and I know it sounds harsh because we've made it something that it's not meant to be from the beginning. This is the first church, right? He's talking to the first church. How screwed up are they? The first letter, five pages full of like, don't do this. Don't do this. Stop doing this. Pastors, don't do this. Congregation, seriously? No, that's because that's what we need. We're rebellious people. Starts when we're young and follows us the rest of the days of our lives. Like I said, you don't teach a two-year-old how to be terrible. You teach a two-year-old how to be good. You teach a two-year-old how to share. And if you haven't met my one-year-old yet, you will. He needs to be taught. He's beautiful and he's amazing and I'm really grateful that he's mine, but he will need to be taught because his nature is it's mine. I just want to encourage you guys as I ask the band to come up here. We're going to take communion. I want to give you a thought. In today's world, renewable energy, new catchphrase for the whole world. Church, what about if you took communion this morning under the realization that we already have the most pure renewable energy that the world has ever seen? It is so renewable and so powerful that from the beginning of time to the end of time to the time thereafter, it will still be in effect. Clean, pure, unadulterated, causing no harm to nobody. His name is Jesus, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. And on that old rugged cross right there, he willingly gave his life. See, no one could take it from him, but he could lay it down so that he could write later in the scripture, no greater love is this than a man lay down his life for who? For a friend. We're friends of Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus Glenn, I'm so full of music today, I can't tell you. I'm, I'm so full of musical turns right now. I just, my head is... What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. As we get ready to take communion, I just want to remind you this morning, don't make it complex. Don't make it something it's not meant to be. It's simple. It's the blood of Christ shed for you. That blood of Christ bought us redemption from sin. It's his body, not broken, but given so that we could be renewed every time that we take him in. And every time we do take him in, he reminds us that he is with us to the end of the age. You're not by yourself. You're not going to go through this alone. You've never been alone. In the house of the Lord with this many believers, you've never been more in the presence of God. 
And if you're out there this morning and maybe you don't know who Jesus is and this is the first time you've heard it and you're like, I want to take communion, maybe first just come up and talk to me about salvation. Let's just talk about salvation and what it means to, to give your life to Christ. And then after that, let's walk to the communion table together and take it together. Dean, Connie, would you guys come right? Randy and Patty, would you guys go left? Team Liz, Tom, you got the back? You want the Lazars with you? It's okay. Tom by himself. Steve, help him. All right, there you go. So let's, let me pray for communion. And then we'll, once you guys come down, come left and right. If you guys could just go one way in the back rather than everyone conversion. If you, this is a little better for kind of coming, maybe left and right, go this way. And if you do go in the back, just try to go one side of it just to get a little more control. Last week, it was really, last month, it was a little hectic back there just for control. Let me prep our hearts for communion. And uh, just thank the Lord for another wonderful opportunity to hear from him today. Father God, I thank you for today. Thank you for James taking the time to write this amazing letter. I'm sure it was tough for him. He, he probably messed up so many times being your brother and then think that you would uh, come back and give him a chance. He was fired up. I mean, I get fired up. I'm actually feeling pretty calm right now because you, you, you're enough. You're the alpha and you're the omega. You're everything that a church needs to believe in. You're, you're the source what so many people at home today are looking for, that hope, that encouragement, that strength again, once again, to even be around other people, Father. If we're not around other people, if we don't have the opportunity to share the love of Christ and to serve and to just be that light, Father, then we're just taking ourselves out of the game. I pray for those watching. I pray for those even in here today, Father, that are still afraid of people, your children, red and yellow, black and white. Father, they are precious in your sight. Help us, Father, today to realize that you are enough. Your blood, your body is sufficient for us to be all that we can be in Christ. We do need your son's precious and holy name.
Kelly, did you guys get it up there? You good? Okay. I'm so grateful to have Matthew available to play all my uh, old time songs. I'm really grateful to do communion again. Some of you guys may hate public speaking. Pastors don't have a choice, but I've said it before. I'll say it many more times. Communion's not easy. I buy this stuff at the store. I know what it is. I know where this bread comes from. People at home missing out on communion. He knew what we needed. He gave us baptism and communion. I always feel like I should throw in tithing with that for the three most most greatly understood things in the church. Things that were meant to be a blessing. Things that were meant to give us proper perspective. And people have turned this into so many different things. It's not, it's just simple. I'm reading the simple version this week because I feel like it says enough. Luke 22, 19 and 20. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And then he gave it to them saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. strength that it provides. Thank you for the hope that it provides for those of us whose bodies no longer function the way they're supposed to. In this life, we will have troubles, but I'm reminded every time I take and eat that you've overcome this world. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of my new covenant and my blood, which is poured out for you. Take, drink, do this in remembrance of me. As we have a closing time of worship, I'm going to be up here. If you're interested in praying, if there's more than one or two people that need to pray, we have some elders that are available that can come up and pray with us. I just want to encourage you, church, keep it simple. Don't get complex. Walk away from the things that are bringing you down. Trust God. Find someone to share the hope of Christ with. Make it about salvation. Make it about baptism. Get simple in a world that's getting really complex. And you will find that he's not only sufficient, but he's more than you'll ever need or want. Let's worship.
such a beautiful communion there. I'm going, wow, this is kind of a minor song, but Jeff, if we had only known. <laughs> <laughs> 